¿Quieres pedo, güey? No, chale. Chale, chale, chale. ¿Quieres pedo? No, chale. chale. Ya sabes que a mí me vale. Me vale. ¿Quieres pedo? No, chale. Chale. Welcome to Suplexes and Cervezas with Chavo Guerrero Jr. I'm your host, Chavo Guerrero Jr. Hey everybody, welcome to the podcast today. I hope everyone's having a lovely day. I know I am. I'm uh, just getting back from a big trip to Florida from a wedding of one of my good friends, Big Mike Knox. You might remember him from um, WWE and ECW and also in TNA from Aces and Eights. So we had a great time at the wedding. A lot of the old boys were there. The big LG was there. Uh, Dolph Ziggler showed up out of the blue. Uh, Nick Aldis, who's the uh, NWA champion, and his lovely wife, Mickey James. Uh, we had some other ones there. It was a good time, fun time. And uh, every time I get together with those guys and girls, we start reliving our old days and the beers start flowing <laughs> so it was a good time and uh, i'm detoxing and i'm right back to my workouts again and uh, back on that treadmill and uh, stairmaster and uh, diet 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 it's all about the diet and when i say diet i'm not talking about dieting like salads and stuff but just eating super clean and that's kind of what i do that's that's the um that's the key you can work out all you want if you're not dieting correctly then it just it just not going to work but today on the podcast we have uh, roman roselle so roman is an up-and-coming wrestler and uh he has a big stored past i mean this guy he's a tough tough dude i mean he's um an ex-green beret which uh that in itself is pretty amazing and he talks about how he um how he got to that point uh, why he joined the armed forces in the first place also not only that he is the oldest walk-on on the arizona state wrestling team history so for all of you that don't know arizona state is a powerhouse in the college wrestling world along with oklahoma state iowa penn state and others of course but to be a walk-on on a powerhouse wrestling team like that means that you are pretty damn good he talks all about that. For example, me, I wrestled my entire life and was never good enough to walk onto a powerhouse wrestling, college wrestling team. So uh, big hats off to Roman on that. He talks about his time in DDP yoga and how that's helped him and now coming up in the pro wrestling ranks. So I hope you enjoy this podcast. I know you will. Nice little interview with Roman Roselle. And that's up next. All right, brother. Hey, man. Thanks for being here, man. I totally appreciate you even being taking time out of your day and uh, deciding to jump on suplexes and cervezas. <laughs> it, it's, uh, I did an interview the, the other day and uh, we changed it from suplexes and cervezas to suplexes and champagne. <laughs> I was in a champagne mood, so. <laughs> so what's going on, man? Where'd you, uh, where'd you grow up at? I grew up in Apache Junction, Arizona. Okay. Where's that close to uh, it's Mesa. It's like a suburb of Phoenix. Oh, Mesa. Yeah, yeah, sure. Okay. I know, I know uh, um, that pretty well. What is this? Hey, most people um, in Arizona think of Apache Junction as like the, the armpit of Arizona. Uh, <laughs> they do? 
Yeah, they do. Yeah. <laughs> so if you ever meet somebody from Arizona, just, just mention AJ. AJ. That's funny. You know what though? That's, you can hear that with by a lot of places. Anybody who's not from there will probably say that it is, or maybe even places, people that are from there will say that it is right. Yeah. But uh, I'm proud of it. I love that place. Yeah, no, that's awesome, man. No, for sure. Did you uh, grow up amateur wrestling? No. Um, well, I started in junior high. Mm. Uh, oh, wow, junior high. So you didn't even wrestle as a, as a young kid. No. See, because my, my parents divorced when I was real young. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My mom got into a toxic relationship one after the other, and everything that comes with addiction, abuse, you know, moving. Anytime rent was due, we moved. And so I never really got to play Little League or Parks and Rec, those games. I mean, I, I did a couple times, but we, by the time I was 13, I already went to nine different schools. And that's not wow. including back to the same school, you know, because my mom would move away, get beat up or whatever. We'd move back in with my grandpas or something like that. She'd meet another guy, say all the right things. We'd move away. It was just like one of those cycles. So it wasn't until we actually kind of got taken away from my mom when I was 13, my sister and I, and mm. moved in with my dad and it was more stable. And I was able to go to middle school and that's where I was able to finally start playing sports. Wow. It's, it's, um, it's a hard day when you realize that your parents are human and okay. they're go through the same trials and tribulations as we do. I mean, I remember as a kid, you know, my father, I just always put him on a pedestal. That was, you know, my, that was my guy. That was my idol, my hero. And then to see him, you know, have his flaws and have struggles in life and stuff. It's like, it makes you realize like, wow, like I thought he was Superman. You know, what happened? There's not supposed to be any chinks in Superman's armor, you know? (laughs) Right. That's crazy, man. Did you, um, how'd you start? wrestling so i'm i was huge into pro wrestling like my my whole life oh you were yeah my baby book it says there's not too many things that survive but i do have a baby book and it says like you know this kid loves to watch wrestling in all sports 17 months old so that was like was that crossed bear i never got rid of it and it actually was that outlet you know because if my mom or whoever was getting abused or I was hiding, you know, doing whatever I had to do. Like I would put on like that different mask or like the ultimate warrior or something like that, at least to kind of hide my uh, scaredness or something on my fear. Yeah. 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 And sometimes I would, you know, call the cops. I would get enough, you know, balls to do that or something like that. Or, you know, but that's where that came from. Just so it was like my only escape was like Jesus and pro wrestling. So when I got the opportunity to wrestle in middle school, I knew I had nothing to do with it, but dude, it was prime time, like 1997, you know, you got NWO going hot, the Monday Night Wars. So I was just like, yeah, it made me feel like I was a part of professional wrestling, even though it was amateur wrestling. And then I found a lot of uh, success in it right off the bat. I think we got to make a um, song about that. Jesus and pro wrestling, man. <laughs> That's- <laughs> Right, yeah, that's that sustained me for sure, you know, and I'm sure many more Uh, (laughs) people that, uh, um, that you know are in pro wrestling. I'm sure that there's a big Jesus factor in there, that's pretty cool, man. Yeah, you know, that's a lot of times that we do, um, we sit there and have to escape, you know, and what everybody's different, but that's very similar to myself, man. Was uh, was a lot of Jesus in pro wrestling, man, 
Yeah, Pepe. Yeah. The only difference is I had a wrestling ring in the backyard, so I was able to jump in the <laughs> jump in the ring. <laughs> right. How did you um, do as a wrestler growing up? Uh, I did really well. Like my my first two years, like I mean, it was middle school, um, just wrestling tournaments. I never I never lost. I was the like district champion both years. So. Oh wow! So you were just a natural right from the start. Yeah, and um, I didn't really have like a lot of skill or technique, but I had like that fight from beneath, like never quit attitude and you know i was always trying to like prove something to myself or get validation so like i would i really would like hulk up and do something and i ended up winning and it just every time yeah, you you're a mad kid man you know <laughs> yeah mad, you know yeah when you get when you go through a lot of trials like that and and like trauma man it uh, it makes you strong it makes you strong yeah. from the inside you know and it was um because aj has a bad rap or apache junction so anytime I'd wrestle, it was one of those things. It wasn't just for me. It was for that whole stereotype, you know, like, hey, this AJ kid's going to whip you. Like, you know, <laughs> I remember I didn't even realize how bad it was till I got in high school and would wear, like, my Letterman jacket outside of Apache Junction, like, going to, like, a place like Scottsdale or, like, some yuppie town, and they'd be, like, looking at you so different. You're like, what? I'm like, God, man, this is how we all dress. This is what we all look like, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You, uh... You're representing and uh, getting the, <laughs> getting criticized at the same time, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's I, I hear that. That's cool, man. So Phoenix, man, that's hot. Gosh damn. Phoenix Good is hot. uh yeah, yeah, it's 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 a dry hot, so it's not hot, right? Oh my god. Yeah. I've gone I've been there many, many times and I've been like, man, it's like I, I gotta get out of here. <laughs> man, you know. So then you wrestled in uh, in high school then also. Yeah, I wrestled in high school, and um, I also had a lot – I started to go down a similar path as, you know, my family in high school. My mom got out of jail, and uh, I actually was a little hesitant about seeing her every now and again. And uh, what's kind of, like, embarrassing or kind of sh shameful to talk about, but when I would get with her, like, in order for us to kind of – like bond or get close, like, you know, I would do drugs with her, you know, it was like one of the things, like I grew up in an area where that was just really affluent around everybody. And that was kind of like, you know, I was 15, 16. I'm like, Hey, I could go out and do this with a bunch of people, but I'd rather do it with you. Kind of held my mom hostage. <laughs> and yeah, then no, dude, you're just a kid trying to bond with your mom. You know, it's, it's nothing that, that you're doing, you know, that you're just trying to bond with your mom. I, I see it. I could have gone that route also. Thank God my dad wasn't going to, you know, bring cocaine around me at the time, but at the same time, it could have been very easily there, you know? Yeah, um, yeah man. So uh, there's, there's no shame in that. You're just, you're, you're just, you're trying to, that's all, you know, that's what it you was, know, you know, was, you know, but I mean, I was smoking meth with her. <laughs> I got you. Yeah. Well, Going straight to like from, from A to Z, like right off the bat and, and, but I still stayed like good in school and I kind of kept it quiet. That's cause I didn't want to ruin like, cause everybody knew me as like, you know, that, that fighter, that Jesus kid. So I was like ashamed to even know that I was battling with my demons and finding a bad escape, you know, and of all things with my mom. So I was just always trying to hide that. And then still, you know, I was bullied a lot. I was overweight. So it was just a lot of stuff. Like I, I didn't understand like <laughs> why I couldn't catch a break. And I would, I would, hang around those type of people because they kind of made me feel better about myself. 
even though we'd be passing the bowl or doing whatever, they'd be like, oh, you don't need to do this. Like, you know, you're different. You can be better. I was getting counseled by the drug addicts. And that's actually kind of what led me out of it. Like, you know, I ended up um, having a kid right in high school. So it was like right off the bat, they were like, hey, even though you kind of not necessarily messed up because they saw me doing bigger and better things to get out of AJ. But when that happened, they were just like, hey, step up your game fast. And that's what I did. And I ended up getting a wrestling scholarship. Thank God, because I was, I was just about to not really give up, but I was, I was planning on, I was going to be a pro wrestler. I was going to go on the road and do my own thing and try to make a living. So, yeah, don't do that. That would have been really the wrong path. <laughs> everybody kept telling me like, you're not made for the pro wrestling. And I'm like, ugh. So I took the rest. Actually, you sound exactly like a pro wrestler who's smoking meth and uh, <laughs> and doing all that stuff. <laughs> no, I'm just no. <laughs> no, man. You know what? That's cool that uh, that you decided to grow up in a sense and and choose the right path because there's that road, especially for young kids. It's tough. You know, I got I got two. Uh, one's a 21, 21 to 18 now, but man, you're always thinking like there's, there's, there's paths, you know, that's, you can only do so much as, as an adult, as a parent and lead them. The rest is up to them. If they get, you know, up mixed up with the wrong crowd, or if they're, you know, they're going to have those decisions and it's like, you're just praying to God that they, they, they take that right path, you know, and don't yeah. veer off too much, you know, yeah. that's tough. What's that was always up? my thing to try to show them, like, even if you do veer off, you know, you can get back on and you can change, like, it doesn't define you. So that's what I've always tried to lead by example and have, like, a history of that. And that's what actually has helped me keep going, like, when I, you know, come up short, you know, I just look, all right, man, you can get back on the right turn, get back on the road straight ahead and, you know, be a beacon of light to a lot of other people, even when you don't feel like you're one. Yeah, totally. You know, it's like your actions don't define you. I think it's what you do after your actions and how you um, you handle that that yeah, adversity. You you know? yeah. yeah, how you rise up is like you know that saying that you know every time you fall down. It's not how many times you fall down, but it's how many times you get back up. And that's true, man. It's true. We've all we all fall, you know, several different times. But it's how many times you just get back up and get back on that horse and and you know keep riding. Yeah, some people just get beat down so much that they just you give up. Take it, yeah. They're like, "Fuck, man!" You know, <laughs> I just stop caring. Like, you know, that's what I've always been around. And be like, yeah. oh, life's too hard, but you just get used to it." I'm like, "No." <laughs> it's easier not to try. It's easier to sit on the couch and do drugs, as yeah. opposed to get your ass up, get moving, get out there, do a job, and do what's right. That's that's hard. It is. Yeah. It's harder. Yeah, for sure. It's a lot easier not to do anything and not give a shit and. But we all know that that's not right. That that's not the right thing. You know, it's like there's this book that I read um, called the um, the Thin Line, and it talked about what makes you comfortable now is going to make you uncomfortable in the future. It's right. comfortable to sit on my couch and not do anything, but that only lasts so long. To when I get, you know, in ten years or fifteen years. Uh, I was really comfortable and now I'm really uncomfortable because I don't have a house. I don't have a car. I don't have a bank account. I don't have anything. But, <laughs> yep. what, but what, but what makes you uncomfortable now makes you very comfortable in the future. It's uncomfortable to get off that couch and get to the gym and start training and, and hustle and, you know, do a podcast and do whatever. And, you know, just hustle, 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 hustle. But in the future, I'm going to be comfortable by, yeah. by having that. So I always try to live by that. It's, you know, it's uncomfortable now, but in the future. 
Yeah, a lot of people don't like uh, to starve that immediate gratification. They just want it right away. Yeah, I'm mad for sure. So then you got a, uh, you got a, you got, you got a, um, a scholarship. Yeah. To, to where? I went to Northwestern College. And how long did you wrestle there for? Um, I went there for a year. And my first year, I ended up during the season, tore my labrum. So it was the second time I had to get shoulder surgery. So like my wrestling career was pretty much not done, but at least for that season. Yeah. And, and I came home for summer break because, you know, it was out of state, went back to Arizona. And then my girlfriend, wife, you know, ex-wife now um, mm-hmm. got pregnant again. So now I had two kids going back into the school year. And my coaches were like, oh, we knew you weren't ready to go back. Two you know, kids now. Oh, God. How old were you? Two kids? I'm um, 19. Wow. That's, uh, you know, hey, well, welcome to manhood, man, right? <laughs> Grow up. If you're not growing up, you, you, you're there now. And that's where I had to make that decision to join the military. Cause mm. So, you, I so wanted, you, left college, you left college, you left wrestling and said, you know, I got I to gotta pay some bills. Like I wanted to, it was, it was tough because, you know, me and my ex-wife at the time, I was like, just, I, I need three more years. I'm going to graduate. I'll have a great job, this and that. But meanwhile, I wasn't there, you know her having to be pregnant or take care of another kid couch surf, you know, with my family, her family, whatever, you know, and we lived off of government assistance, you know, those, everything that was, you know, was provided, like we were living off of, and I didn't want to make that a career, you know, because right. like, they're there. Like I grew up seeing that, like some people refuse to work because they'll just get those assistance programs and they're there. But I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm 19. I was like, I have no excuse now. I can't say like, Hey, I'm a kid or I'm too young. You know, I was living on my own since 16. So I withdrew, got my family together. And I was like, now what? I feel like I'm too good to work at a convenience store or, you know, Home Depot. Not that those are bad things, but for me, I was like, you know, I'm an entertainer. I'm something, I'm in for something great. But again, entertainment at that point, is not going to get me anywhere because I have a kid on the way. I need insurance and all that other stuff. The last thing I wanted to do was join the military. I hated it. Mainly because I was really? a wrestler. You know, wrestling so hard. The practice, the lifestyle. And in my head, I just remember doing army crawls in practice. So I just assumed the army is so much more tough and intense. I was like, I can't live that life every day. But that's how desperate I got. I was like, you know, screw it. And then when I joined, um, it wasn't okay, because was, I think you broke up for a second. You said you can't live that life. Every- yeah, no, I felt like, you know, I can't live that life. But, you know, I said I got pretty desperate. So I just joined and said, you know, I'll figure things out on the way down. And I did that. And of course, it had its um, grueling moments and stuff like that. But it wasn't what I expected. It was like it taught me better structure, more appreciation. Now I was forced to do things, you know, where I'd complained about waking up for school at nine or 10 or complain about other things. I had real things to complain about. So it gave me a different perspective and it kind of, kind of shaped me. And again, I was, I was sober, you know, doing the right thing. So it was like a good thing. And I was the first person, well, I was the first male to graduate high school, let alone go to college. And then when I messed up, everybody was like, ha ha, you're no different. And then, so when I joined the military, kind of like, um, revitalized me, like a resurrected me and showed people like, no, 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 no. I'm still exactly what I said, got on the right path. And then I did that multiple tours right off the bat. Isn't that sad when people sit there and say, ha I like the point that finger you, I knew you'd mess up. I knew that wasn't who you were. They're waiting for you. Right. 
but yet they're still on their mom's couch at 40. You know, it's like, guys, the, the most successful people that I've met have always been like, dude, you can do it. They've been like, they pump you up yeah. because they know they've been there. They've had people tell them that they can't do it. Right. And you, sure. yeah. So it's, it's, it's kind of like fuels your fire. It's like, it's up to you to, all right, am I that person or am I who I think I am? Right. There was a, something I came across and it was just, and I still got to use it today. It's like, you'll never be criticized by someone who's doing more than you. You'll only be criticized by someone doing less. That's right. And it's, yeah, that's <laughs> it's just, right. It's like, why is there so many haters? And you're like, think about it. It's like, cause you know, they see You'll that only and, be criticized by people doing less than you. Yeah. You'll never be criticized by people doing more than you. <laughs> be proud of. That's great. That's great. That's, that's a great saying right there. I remember that one. Anybody listening, remember that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's been my lifeline this week. <laughs> yeah, man. So then what happens? So then you get, decide to join the army. Yeah, so I was in the army. I was like, I was a 19 kilo, which is a tanker. You watch mm -hmm. Fury with Brad Pitt? Yeah, sure. That was me. I was a tank commander. Oh, really? Oh, you're Brad Pitt. Yeah, really. <laughs> <laughs> like him too. No, just kidding. No, but I did. Uh, I was a tanker, but I was never on a tank. Like, went straight to combat, and we were like with the 82nd Airborne, so we were doing like air assault missions, just kicking doors, special forces stuff. Really? Deployments were like 15 months long. You know, at the very beginning of the war, so it was rough. Oh my God. And what country were you in? I was in Iraq. In Iraq, uh, wow. First, the first uh, few tours. What year is this? This is 2006. Oh, my goodness. So 2006. And I went early. So it was a 15-month tour, but I was, you know, a private. So I volunteered for Advon to go up there, load, unload off the boats and stuff like that. All the vehicles, tanks, Bradleys, Humvees. So I was actually gone further from my family than that 15 months. And it was... Um, because I needed extra money. I was like, deployment's extra money, but I didn't realize how much that was going to do to the family being gone. And um, not only that was the, we didn't have internet over there in Iraq. We did, but it was really sketchy wow. and they would black it out if anybody got killed. So it's like, I would maybe get to talk to my family once every two months. And that's no joke. Like that's not just me. That's anybody that was in that time. And then it slowly got better, but wow! So they have no clue. They have no clue if you're alive or what's going on with no. you there. It's like no news is that's that's good tough, news, man. Gosh, hats yeah. off to military. No news is good news. And one time it was a uh, Mother's yeah, Day. No, no news is good news. Yeah, Mother's Day. The story. Uh, there's a thing where you know the Fox Sports did a little quick segment on me, and it talked about me surviving a suicide blast. But I wasn't really in such close proximity as, you know, my lieutenant and my sergeant was who lost his legs and the other one died. It was, um, but my wife didn't, didn't know that. She just got, she was with my sergeant. How close were you to that? How close? Oh, I mean, I was, I was pretty How close. How close were you to that actual? Oh, I was really maybe five meters away. And yeah, I was now, was it a, like a, a, a car or was this guy just walking up? What was it? Um, so we did like a little call a snap TCP, a, a basically like a hasty tactical checkpoint where you just kind of block off near far side security of all these vehicles and you kind of search them, you know, but they, they've been doing that at this time for what, you know, five, six, seven years. So they already knew like the customs, like, Hey, this is just, a way of life now, kind of like us with masks. We, we know we put a mask on. Wow. So it's for them. They're like, okay, they know when convoys are coming by, stop. So if someone doesn't, then they're kind of sketchy. 
we had already been on a three day patrol and it was mother's day. So we were ready to go back in and actually get something other than MREs or, you know, nothing to eat. So I was like, cool, man, we can hit the DFAC if we get back on time now. And then of course my Lieutenant wants to stop and check these cars. You're like, no, like we've been out like pulling guard duty all night doing patrols. Like we just want a good meal or something. And he's going to, and it was brunch. So the chow hall is going to close, you know, and we're like, gosh, man, you got to stop. And of course, like his intuition or whatever cosmic force, God, like had to stop. And these two guys who wouldn't get out of the vehicle got out simultaneously and started spraying with their AKs and blew oh up. Yeah. Really? Time. Yeah. And when they blew up, like, you know, it, you know, the blast killed my Lieutenant and the legs of my, my Sergeant. And, you oh know, I was God. on top of the vehicle. So I just got down me and my uh, battle buddy we had to like start doing immediate first aid and you know had to put everything like had to be in control with all the chaos and you do that muscle memory but it was just like it just clicks and you do what, what you got to do and everything else you just kind of forget about and stay in that moment and so that was that was that event but my sergeant's uh wife was with mine at Olive Garden so they'd got a call it was like hey you know so and so was injured this and that and they didn't hear anything about me so like my wife was she thought I'd got killed or injured because they didn't tell. They're just like, hey, there was Kay, there was wounded. And they just knew we were that team together, that little four-man team. Wow. But it wasn't until like I got back and like begged, like, please, can I just use a satellite phone to call home? And they're like, no. I was like, I, I'm like, I bet you like she's thinking something happened to me. But I was lucky that survived it, you know. Um, and so I called and yeah, she was like, what? It was almost like she was talking to a ghost. She was like, you know, I thought you were dead. They, you know, they called Daniel's, you know, wife and we knew you were together. So it was just like crazy. And I'm like, damn, and that wasn't the first time it happened again later. I was in another accident and I had a spinal injury and they couldn't get a hold of my wife and they'd called my dad or my grandma, somebody like that. And they're like, Hey, your son was, you know, air back to, you know, hospital in Iraq. He had a spinal injury, this and that were, in critical condition and it just got spun out of control i mean it this doesn't happen all the time it's just when you go over and over and over like that's all how i lived like for 10 straight years it was just deployment 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 now the second time was that uh, another bombing or yeah um so i was i usually just go with the minimum because i've spent lots of years over there and Anybody that's over there will be in like an IED blast, a firefight. Minimum was like 15, like little IED explosions. Only six of them were kind of bad where I got concussed. Um, but there was still a gap between those, but um, the one I just mentioned. So how many explosions have you been in like that? Oh, just, to, I mean, a minimum 15. But again, they weren't always wow. as crazy. But I mean, you're doing yeah. patrol every day. Well, something's blowing up by you. I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty yeah. amazing. Yeah, it's not like it's like you blow it off. I'm being like, what the hell? Like if it happened here in my neighborhood, I'd be like, okay, dude, this is, <laughs> I got to move. But yeah, yeah it's like you're sitting there doing, being in 15 blasts like that. It's like, it's just a matter of time before it, you know, it gets you're, you. And you're hoping it does because you're tired of living like that. You're like, gosh, man, at least if I get blown up, I'll go home and get patched up and I won't have to live this like, you know. Here's, you know, 12 hours out on patrol and come in for a two hour nap. Then you got to pull a four hour, you know, tower security guard. Then you got to go do maintenance for another hour or two. Then you got to go back out on patrol. You know, it was just, you're talking like every day like that. The, you hardly got any free time. And if you did, you'd probably use it in the gym or stand in line to wait to, to get a phone call or any of that stuff. So it was just 
rough to where you're just like, dude, I would be not necessarily reckless, but I would try to be like super heroic and like something happens to me, it happens. But in the meantime, I'm going to save this guy or, you know, I'm going to wow. be Chuck Norris. But yeah. really you're just like, whatever happens, happens. But, oh. and then you get survivor's guilt all the time. So yeah. you're just like, dude, what is going on? And then it just kept repeating. So it just, in all those years where you don't think nothing's bothering you, it just kind of builds up and builds up over time. Yeah. PTSD, like crazy, bro. Right. So then you're sitting there and you're over there and you decide to, you need more money. <laughs> so I went to special forces. Yeah. Well, no, I had, I became a green Bray because the deployments were shorter, six months, but I also, uh, I felt at that time, the way that the regular army was working, like it just, I, I felt like I was going to eventually get killed. So even though I said I was wanted something to happen, I really didn't. Sure. But like going out for no reason, it's like almost like picking a fight. Like we were doing presence patrols, but it's like, come on, like, and really you were just doing it because somebody wanted a, to say on paper, look, we did 36, blah, 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 or this and that, blah, blah, blah. But really it was just like, you didn't even really need to do that. Like, so yeah. special forces, like, we're not going to do anything unless we have air assets, good planning, you know, this. So that's why I was like, I need to be around those type of people that are door kickers like me and will do anything, but are smart about it too. Wow. So you tried out, did you have to try out for Green Bread, like do yeah. tests and stuff? How did that work? Um, you have to have like a certain score. So I had to actually retake like my whole ASVAB test to get my scores up. Um, and then it's volunteer. You go to recruiter and they'll let you go to selection. And then selections, you know, 21 days. And uh, it's, it's like how that song where it says, you know, the ballad of the Green Beret, 100 yeah. men will test today, only three win the Green Beret. So the selection is just the three week part. That's just to get into the special forces qualification course to earn your Green Beret. And that takes some minimum, you know, one year to two years. But the selection process, we started with, you know, close to 400 and you're down by the, by the third week, you're down to maybe 186, 150, and then 80 get selected. So you can make it all the way and not get selected. Really? So when I got selected, I was like one of yeah. the greatest moments in my life. And that kind of helped change things for me. And how was deployment after that? Like, what did you have to do as special forces? Um, I went to Afghanistan. You know, we did a lot of training for Afghanistan, did a lot of more high speed training, you know, um, more advanced skills with everything, whether that was just with tactical stuff, but also like, you know, human psychology, all that stuff, you know, because special forces, they special were force multipliers. It's unconventional warfare. So it's not like your typical conventional forces where it's just like a whole squadron battalion of just 3000 men. There's each team has 12. So you got 12 guys that can do the equivalent of 3000 people. So in order to have that type of training, it's just school after school after school, deployment after deployment. So I was actually gone more than I was thinking I'd be. <laughs> like I was always worried about being deployed, but I actually felt like I was home more because I'd be gone for three weeks and I know I could come home, get like a four day weekend, do really not a whole lot for a week and then train really hard for another three weeks. So it was kind of broken up. It was better than that's long, you know, consistent where I'm away from my family, but to my wife and kids, you know, it was no different for them. We're like, you know, you're here, but we don't see you before we go to school because you go to PT. We don't see you when we get home because you don't get off work till seven, you get home at eight, nine, whatever. So it was just like, you're here, but you're not here. Yeah. So I did that for 14 years, close to. 
So it's very much like wrestling. <laughs> it's kind of, it's, it you're is. ready for wrestling, but I mean, without, you know, getting killed and blowing people up and that kind of stuff. But there's so many similarities. Wow, that's amazing, man. So you're sitting there in Afghanistan as a Green Beret now. That's uh, that's an achievement, man. That's that's huge. We got to work. Uh, well, each Green Beret gets a language. Mm-hmm. So that's part of when you get selected, they give you like your job and a language. And you have like three requests that you can do. Some people get languages like Farsi, Pashto, you know, Tagalog, Mandarin, Chinese. I got Spanish. I was like, yes. Nice. nice. Here. Yeah. And they teach Patchy Junction about, came in handy. <laughs> yeah, so no, I was like, <laughs> I could use it, you know. It was, uh, so I was pretty, blessed for that. Are you fluent? Oh, yeah. Oh, nice. That's awesome, man. Pues, me defiendo hablando español. Huirito puedo hablar. Yeah, it's good. Hablamos en español. But uh, so I got to learn Spanish, and then I actually got to go to school in Colombia to learn better Spanish. So it was, I got to practice that. Oh, wow. So went to Colombia. Jeez. I went to all over Central South America, but that mm. was like um, for language training. I learned in the States. And then when I kind of advanced further in my special forces career, um, in order to be a force multiplier and train other partner nations, um, I just had to be able to speak better you know, as a diplomat. Yeah, you can, sp- you can learn in, in school all you want, but you have to apply it. You have to go to that, to a country and apply it. And that's how you really learn it. You it was know? that immersion training. So it was just like, hey. I learned more from, yeah, living there than I did at the school. Like at the school, I was like, dude, man, I go home and learn more on YouTube and hanging out with the guys at the gym down the street than the school. But it was, that was a great experience because it was, I got to see something different. And Colombians, they're, uh, they're not racist at all. It was great. <laughs> like you oh, guys, nice. they were just like, you don't speak English. And, like people get frustrated. I went there and it was just like, oh, you don't know this? Hey, hey came up with Come here. And then they would teach me like, you know, idiomatic phrases and how to get by and to do this. Like I wear, <laughs> wear their stuff, like this total like gringo. But yeah. then they're like, hey, this dude loves the culture, this and that. And it was more like family. Like I felt like, in, <laughs> I felt like I had like a posse, like when I was down there, like it, yeah. was, it was a great place. That's cool, man. That's good to know, man. Uh, Columbia, I've been there, been there, but just rusting, you know, we're in and out. Yeah. You know, yeah. Wow, that's amazing, dude. That's, that's really, really cool. So then where do you go from there? So now you're Green Beret, you're traveling, you're learning Spanish. Yeah, I'm a team sergeant. I got to do a couple, um, take my team down south. I went to Guatemala a couple times. And it was just getting too much for, for um, my family and me. Well, it wasn't necessarily just with PTSD. Like I had, you know, a brain injury and stuff oh, would to the point. Yeah. So I had TBI, I had vertigo. I have a lot of stuff. Like I had to go to actual occupational therapy, speech therapy for the longest time just to talk. And sometimes I'll stutter and pause if I'm having a hard time thinking, but just cause there's a lot of neurological damage, but my, my brain's healed, you know, for the most part, cause I had to get checked when I was in NCAA, but it was, um, again like i said a pause just to think like it's there it just takes a while to get out here and to find the words like if i ask for a cup sometimes i'll be like uh, give me that cylindrical object that holds water and fluids and like explain it like a scientist when i could just say hey give me that cup right right no that's i get it dude i there's there's a, a little bit of that in me i got sometimes like that where i sometimes can't say something and i'm like i know what that word is but then hold on a second let me 
I can say it, but not say it. You know what I mean? I can get you to understand what I need. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, man. That's... I was doing that as a special forces operator. You know, I was forgetting things too. Like I would lose track, you know, just with stress. I had a lot of family issues, problems. So, you know, I'm, you know, in South America, not remembering that I had a class to give or go to the embassy to talk to somebody or I did it. And I'm like, okay, we're going to do this this week. And they're like, Roman, you already did that. And I was like, what? I was like, how do you just lose track of time? And it was, it, it started off like innocent, but after a few years, it's like getting worse. And I'm not getting seen for any of these problems because I'm one, I'm like this, I'm this green beret and not just I'm a green beret. Like I'm this team sergeant. I'm like the top of the food chain, you right. know? So like you try other ways to use your disabilities for strengths, but it ends up like crumbling because those things like just build up and if you don't take care of it, God, it just, that's why you can't remember stuff or you're not sleeping well or just doing anything. And it got to the point where I would learn so much and see so much stuff, whether that was with how we were training the, the stuff that I was doing. Um, Cause you know, there's a lot of human trafficking down South and all that other stuff. And then the war dealing with that stuff. Me, I have five daughters, you know, and two sons. So it was just like, I'd see stuff down there and I'd come back home here and I'd see like practices that just how easy, like my kids can just put anything on social media or do whatever. And me being like, no, like, you know, that's how we catch you. Or this is that, like they'll use the family or I see like the same car, like driving around, just not, I would like pull all these surveillance tactics thinking, you know, people were after me and my family, not because I was crazy, but just because like, you're trained that way. Cause that's yeah. all you, like you build targeting packets for yeah. bad dudes to get picked up. And then when you're just like, come home, it's hard to turn that off because you're like, like, no, like you are you recognize something a lot more than the normal person recognizes. Yeah. Even if it's not there, you're sitting, you're seeing a pattern and you're like, wait a yeah. minute. I know this. Yeah. And no, a, a layman, a person not in the military wouldn't see that pattern. I told you, know, you, yeah, I get it. And a lot of times you, sometimes you're right because a lot of people that don't get busted are out in the open, not even being secretive. So that's how I can catch things. Just like, whoa, you got 10 people and out of the 10 people, two don't have social media and a social media style life. There's something about those two. Like, no, they just don't like it. No, there's something a little bit more. Yeah. But maybe, maybe, but maybe not. And why was I even questioning it? So it was stupid. And yeah my kids, you know, not doing chores correctly, or they didn't fill out their chore charts, I would like lose my mind. So yeah. sometimes I would avoid go, going home just so I wouldn't lash out or go crazy, you know, so it was, there was so much compounding at that time where I just needed to, you know, walk away and get help for myself. And actually, it took me a good year and a half to like, again, do a lot of physical therapy for my body rehab, learning, you know, the, the speech, the talk. And that was when we were I retired, medically retired out. You have to learn how to transition back into society. Yeah, civilian life because they don't work the same. You know what? And and this is totally not even on the same level, but comparing wrestling to that again, when I left yeah. wrestling and coming back and, and it was always around, you know, wrestlers like, you know, Gallows and all those guys and all my, all my boys and how I acted around them. And then I'd come back to Orange County, California and hang around some of my boys here then and they're you know great guys and you know they're you know successful businessmen and stuff and but they all thought that i was just insane and i'm like i'm i'm not even i'm the tame one compared to these all these right i'm the, i'm the easy one compared to these guys and like i had to transition back into society if they like you know if 
they I'd be wanting to fight somebody. They're like, dude, you can't do that. I said, what do you, what do you mean? I can't do that. I'm like, hold on a second. Okay. I'm not in wrestling world anymore. Let me, they, and it's the funniest thing. They all think that like, I'm like this insane dude. And I'm like, cops, I was so mild in wrestling. You don't even know compared to these guys. you know. Right. And that was now compared to like the 1980s with my dad and those guys are even more out, out just wacky and just like outlawed. So I definitely understand my dad a lot more now being in the business and having to transition out of wrestling. Oh man, it's, I, yeah. I miss those times though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. And, and, I did, and I did too. And that was the whole part. Like when I got out, I missed that as much as it drive me crazy, you know, just with the politics and all that crazy stuff. It was like, you miss that brotherhood, that tribe. Yeah. You miss that alphaness, that being, yeah. being on alpha, alpha males, and you miss that. I remember my wife one time, we were watching something on TV, I think it was like a, like a, something about like a biker gang, like a Hells Angels or the Vagos or something. And uh, she goes, I, could, I see you could be in a, in a biker gang. I said, what do you mean? And she goes, well, I mean, not like that. She just, just the camaraderie that you're in wrestling, that's how you guys were. You guys would, you know, like family, you're like brothers. You, you know, they mess with, with one of you, they mess with all of you. I said, yeah. She's like, you don't have that anymore here. And I said, yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah. Like, you know, so I, I, I see that for sure. I see the people, a lot of, a lot of vets getting out of, out of your position and going yeah. and finding it in like a gang, you know? Cause they don't identify, like they took so much identity as being sergeant, you know, so-and-so or this and that. And then when they get out and they're looking for a regular job, nobody cares that they were a sergeant so-and-so. And that deals with them a lot. So then they, you know, start pounding the bottle and doing other stuff to try to feel motivated to do anything. And by then, like they've already let themselves go. And then it's just a vicious cycle. And a lot of them still don't want to get help because they think they don't need it. Right. And it's Hollywood does a bad portrayal of that because every deployment that we get back, like the army does a great job with giving you the tools and resources to become more resilient. They call it resiliency training to where you go see a therapist, get some help, take 30 days where you just kind of reintegrate. But guys don't do that because they're like, there's a stigma behind it. And a lot of times we don't think we have PTSD because it's not what people think it is. Like I don't have this flashback of, you know, being in the desert, the sand, or, you know, and have you watched up in smoke? Sure. Remember strawberry? Yeah, that's right. Like, yeah, totally, totally. Charlie in the trees, like, I'm, those are bad acid trips. Like, uh, I've never known anybody, and I've been, I wrote a mental health workbook, and I've done lots of seminars and classes and discussions, and I always ask people if they've had those Hollywood acid trips where they're in the store, and they just hear noises, and they think everybody's a bad guy. They're like, no, like, you know, you have a split second where you kind of think about it, and, but that's why people say, like, I don't have PTSD, because I don't have those flashbacks, but I have you know, cold sweats. I have this sweaty palms. I can't do this. I get nervous. I like, I got to withdraw. Like those are the things because your brain reacts, maybe not your body or like your vision, but your brain like recognizes something and it goes into this weird state and you could be at church and all of a sudden be like, what's going on? But something clicked and it's cause you never processed it and got it in the right spot. You know? Yeah. You go off on your kids cause they didn't fill out their, their chore chart. <laughs> right? And, like, and, and the yeah. same chemicals that were, that are going through you now are the same ones that, you know, like a zebra has when it's running from a lion and, you know, you're in a, a safe place. So it just like, and that's where people think they don't have the issue. Cause they're just like, Oh, I just, you know, I'm just aggressive. I'm at this like, no, dude, you need to figure out some stuff. Cause you know, your brain, you got that amygdala, the hippocampus, obviously the stuff need to go where it needs to go. And the only way to do that is just checking a block and be like, yeah, let me just talk to somebody and, 
figure out how to turn these negative emotions into healthy emotions, process it better. So I'm not yeah. dreaming about it at night and not that it goes away, but that's why guys don't get help. Yeah. I totally, I totally see that for sure. Tell me about, uh, when were you, were you, uh, when you got struck by lightning? That was in the special forces qualification course. So I was in the training course is trying to become a Green Beret at this point. And a lot of stuff was going on at this moment. It's not that I was having second thoughts. It's just, we got a good tax return one year by having so many kids that my wife's tubes, we got them untied. So um, we could try to have a boy because we just had three daughters at the time. And right off the bat, she gets pregnant, but is diagnosed with thyroid cancer and it's no. you know past the stages is about to like go in everywhere and she has to get it removed but she doesn't want to get it removed because she still has the baby she can't do any chemo or anything like that and it was just it was a lot on us and i'm still just trying to train to to go to this phase of training which is small unit tactics training like ranger school okay but um she has a ectopic so a miscarriage and she loses that tube and, you know, we just spent $6,500 to get them untied and she loses one and she only has a, the other one. They say we have like a 13% chance of getting pregnant, whatever it was. So she just kind of goes into like, you know, she's distraught and yeah, she's in depression. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And depressed about it. And, but now is a blessing because now she can get that thyroid removed because, you know, we got three other kids that really depend on her and I do, but it was like, what do I do? You know, do I go to this next phase of training? Do I stay here with her? If, you know, I get out of it, you know, I'm not going to have the same momentum or training, you know, I'll, I'll lose a few steps, but I had a pretty good church family. Her mom was coming down. So we both were like, yeah, you need to do this because I'll be fine. When I get out of surgery, I'm going to make it. You'll pass that course. And you're just one step closer to getting that green beret and providing a better life for us. So it was mutually like where we made that decision. Where I'm in the star course, it's five points like stars and it's miles and miles away from each other. And you're just on your own land navigating. We get our points, but I'm starting to feel sorry for myself. We all meet back up like at our call time and like, hey, guys that didn't get their points, we'll get to go the next day. Well, I got mine. It's like now I got to wait another day. Plus, I'm already like questioning things. It's storming out. Just miserable. Morale is low. And all you have is a poncho. So you're going to lay in a puddle. And I was just trying to talk to God all day, whatever, even trying to talk to my devil worshiper friends was like, Hey, what do you think of Jesus? And they'd be like, he's the son of God. I'm like, come on, man. I'm, at least argue with me. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, what do I got to do? And then, um, I was like, I'm going to go to sleep when I wake up, I'm going to voluntary withdraw so I can be with my family and I can just go back to the regular army. I was like, I had a good life. I don't know why I'm trying to, what I'm trying to prove. I don't need to prove anything. Had that talk. As soon as I go to sleep and he, this wake up to a loud explosion kind of like a car bomb and i know i'm in the states so it's freaking me out i'm like what's going on it's bright white but i'm electrocuted i can't move because it like demolished the tree that i was laying underneath and nobody can move me because i was getting electrocuted and anybody that was in a 10 meter radius was getting electrocuted too but i was at the hub really yeah my throat got swollen my heart just like was like out of rhythm and we thought it was done. I was like, phew, there was my sign. But when I got to the hospital, it was like, what was I thinking? Why was I talking, you know, like quitting? Like, I don't want to quit. I came this far. I'm like, God, I wish I could just heal. I was like, this was stupid. I should have never said that. And 
crazy and miraculous. Like even the doctor, like if you were to talk to him this day, like he had never seen a recovery like that. And the next day, like I felt great. I mean, a little sore in my throat and chest, but uh, they're like, Hey, this guy can go back to training. Like my heart rhythm was good again. It was weird. You're like, God, did, did you have to strike me with lightning to get me to actually decide to stay? It training? was weird. And cause I ended up going like somebody Could, like, couldn't I have just had a dream or something? <laughs> somebody had actually showed me like a Bible verse that said like, God talks to those through lightning and thunder. I was like, but they didn't know I was having any talks with it. They're like, bro, man, check this out. We just got, you know, the our daily bread. It was some yeah, kid yeah. out there having to come across. He's like, Hey Roman, look what was on my thing this morning. So it was just kind of weird. Yeah. But it was, yeah. uh, I took that as like, Hey, I'm on the right path. <laughs> and then my wife nope. got pregnant with twins right no after I got that. No coincidences, man. I believe that. No coincidences. That's insane. That's <laughs> Okay, so you're, you've been blown up multiple times, your concussions, you're, you've had, uh, you're struck by lightning, you know, trained enough to be a Green Beret. <laughs> I got dropped from a 15-foot tower. Dropped from a 15-foot tower? Yeah, during training. It was, well, there's always crazy stuff, man. It was just, wow. I got this huge scar. Yeah, it was just yeah. weird. Yeah, just another training thing. And it was, in, I had to like, everything is like pass or fail. So it's like, I end up like jacking my back up. I think I fractured like my T11, T12, but I didn't know that at the time. I just knew my back was really bad. And I still had two weeks of this serious course that I had to do. And right. um, luckily I had hit my head and it gashed it open. So they had to do stitches. And I was like, Hey, they don't let you take any medicine during this time. Um, obviously, cause you're out there rucking, doing a lot of stuff in the field, but I was like, my back is so bad. Like I need to tap out. I was like, but if I can talk them in and maybe let me have some Motrin just for my eye. Cause they, they, it was bad, but really it wasn't for this. It was for my back and everything. And sure enough, right. they, they gave me some 800 milligram Motrins and that got me through the, through the rest of that course and pass. And when I got like my MRI and everything, they're like, Oh yeah, you're, you fractured your back and stuff. I was like, holy shit. I just went through a crazy ass course with a freaking broken, you know, back. And yeah. luckily I had some boys that were helping me because I couldn't always carry like the heavy stuff. And cause they knew I was bad off, but they didn't know how bad. So I was, it wasn't just cause I was able to truck it. I had guys that were helping carry me. So then you leave, you decide yeah. to leave, um, armed, armed forces. Yeah. And I missed that tribe and I, it was hard going from hundred miles per hour to zero. And plus I wasn't making that money anymore, that special forces money. And I didn't have, I didn't want to do contract work of what I was just doing because it was creating, it was like, it was toxic for me. Not, yeah. It's the same thing. You got to get out of that business. You're like, okay, I can't continue to do this. No, I'm really good at it. I just can't, at least not right now anyways, because it was, just, I'm not in a good mental place. Or physically, but I got physical, physically good again. And I was like, I was like, man, what would I do if I couldn't fail? And I wish I could have been part of, you know, a college program. Cause you've seen all those dudes, like everywhere you walk, someone's wearing like a college team or this and that. And I'd be like, that would have been badass just to be part of that. And just like, you know, this is my alma mater. I, you know, I was here and I know the max age was 25. So I was like, I don't got a shot, but I was like, I still want to be a part. I was like, maybe I can be like the guy that, mops mats or takes out trash or something on maybe just write stuff down but at least to be part of that athletic program the, the camaraderie something and that's what i did man i just kept was like knocking on doors and happened to 
get kind of noticed. Like I kept coming there and the athletic director, I didn't know who he was, but he just kept seeing me every day. Just like, hey, what are you doing? I was like, I'm just trying to look for the coaches. You need any help? No, I'm just, just here. And then after a few days, he was like, here, let me take you to their office. And then told me who he was and this and that. And I was like, I'm going to help you out. And I was like, oh, sh- man, you never know who you're entertaining. <laughs> really? Right. And they, they got me an interview with the coaches. And of course, uh, they wanted me as a mentor role, but they already had four coaches by NCAA standards. So it was like, well, now where do we find a place for him? Are we going to make him the team manager? I was like, but the coaches are like, he wrestles and he, you know, he's good at least good enough to like help these guys and do whatever to where one of my coaches got the idea. It was like, you know, Randy Couture was in the army and he was 29 when he, you know, walked onto Oklahoma state and they're like, you know, maybe that applies for you too. And I was like, what? And this time I'm 33, I'd be 34. He's like, he goes, we'll give you a tryout. I'm like, yeah, you might as well walk on. Cause I guess they saw value in that. And sure enough. Yeah. At ASU, right? Yeah. Arizona state. Okay. And, they put which me through is, the ringer for a long Which is a crazy, awesome, tough wrestling, amateur wrestling team. I mean, Arizona was. State. So I mean, you could have tried to walk on at the community college, but you, you tried to walk on to Arizona State. Yeah, I wasn't, I was like, man, they're not going to break me physically or mentally because how bad I wanted it. And even the paperwork, I don't know. I just, even when I didn't have uh, the liability insurance to practice with them, I was practicing with Ryan Bader. You know, he would let me Bader, yeah. his gym. Like I had a lot of support and nobody like, were like, man, a 34 year old wrestling. They're like, it's no, some were skeptical. They're like, uh, it's not going to happen. Like it's never been done. And then I would listen to stuff where, you know, like even Arnold, where he's like, he goes, when someone says it's never been done, well, I'll be the first one to do it. So it was like, okay, if I do this, I'm going to be the first guy to do that. And not only that, like I belong here and I believe it. And it'll change things for a lot of people because think about how many people were in the service, didn't know their eligibility was frozen and could come back and play football or play hockey, soccer, whatever they wanted to do. So it was, there was, it was more than just like me trying to fulfill my dream. It was just like, this, this is going to benefit a lot of people. And sure enough, man, it, it did. It was great. So you walk on and you get the tryout and you make the team. Yeah. I mean, I made the team. It just took a long time for paperwork to go through with the NCAA because yeah, I'm sure a lot of checks and balances, but yeah, it was just, I made the team and I couldn't believe it. It was great. Like I was what like, weight, what weight class? Uh, 197, like 194, 197, but that's a tough division, man. That's, that's no joke. I mean, they're all tough divisions. <laughs> and right off the bat, they're like, they knew like, Hey, you're probably never going to start. You're not going to be our national champion but there's 40 guys in the room. There's only 10 spots. So you kind of get it. Like everybody knows the role. And for me, I'm always like, okay, that's fine. I was like, I know my role. I'm happy to be here, but I'm going to be prepared for the opportunity rather than have the opportunity not be prepared. And let alone the whole summer, a year, another summer program. And then we get to have our opening home meet and, you know, they make me a starter. So it was just like, and now you're starting. Yeah. So it was great. It was like, dude, I was like, I'm glad I just, had that that mentality or whatever i didn't know it was ever going to pay off the way like i envisioned it like i'd always dreamt like something like that would happen never really thought it would actually happen right, right. <laughs> but um it was crazy yeah two years into it like i get my shot you know get my little ruby moment and got to start where you know sun devil singlet at even take away the age it was just a great 
Great That's insane. I, I, I wrestled my entire life, and I, I told you this before, but I wrestled my entire life, and I was never good enough to ever walk on to an ASU wrestling team. So, dude, hats off to you 100%. That's, <laughs> that's, that's unheard of, man. And That's more crazy. He broke up. There we are. Yeah, okay. So I'll start that again. I'll start that again. So like I've wrestled my entire life and I was never good enough to walk onto a, a, a college wrestling team, let alone Arizona State. And at 34, it's even more unheard of, bro. That's, <laughs> dude, your story is insane. This is, this is pretty crazy. Yeah. How well, many matches well, did you end up having? Uh, I only got to wrestle the actual starting match um, was just one. Prior to that was we. Like guys that aren't starters can That's wrestle all you need. matches. That's all you, <laughs> so That's I all you needed, man. And I got to wrestle at the U.S. Open. I took third there. So that was that was my first big big thing was over after the first season was over. Uh, I got to wrestle in at the U.S. Open, and it was one of those things where it's like, hey, this guy, we're gonna see what he's actually made of. And you got your freestyle and Greco tournaments, and the first day, you know, I lose. I won. I win a match, and then I I lose two. And I'm out of the tournament. So everybody that was like, oh, this guy, like he's been training with Arizona State, this, he didn't even belong there. And it got to me. So like the next day I had one more tournament to do. And you always hear like Joe Rogan and everybody always say like, hey, dude, 90% of the battle is just showing up. And I always say that too. And I was like, God, I was like, again, I already, cre- I already made history by competing there at my age and doing this. So I was like, so I made it. And again, I was like, why am I talking like this? I was like, just show up and see what happens. You never know. Cause there's other people you don't know who are watching. My teammates were watching. Like they were, I didn't know just how much behind me they were because they were the ones that were coaching me in my corner during that stuff. And so I went back the next day and um, I was like, here we go again. We'll see what comes out of it. And, you know, I win my first match. Then the next one, the guy forfeits his match cause his ankle hurts. Then I advance again. Then I get a buy and I advance and I, you know, I'm wrestling for first and second lose. And then I, I like got to make my way back. But I'm like, I actually ha- can win this. It's like, if I beat these two guys, I can make my way to third and fourth and I could win and, you know, shock everybody. And that's exactly what happened. I'm taking third. And it was like, dude, I was like, I can't believe I almost robbed myself of this glory just by feeling sorry for myself when I just showed up and people got hurt, people gave up and, you know, I kept going and paid off. Yeah, and you were ready. You were ready. You put the time in. You put the work yeah. in. It wasn't like you just said, "Okay, I'm here." No, you actually did yeah. what needed yeah, to be done. Show, yeah. Like, yeah, I mean, you're 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 putting in the you know the work. You're in shape. I always say to um, you know people that are you know amateur wrestlers or even MMA fighters, I mean, you're gonna beat people on your high cardio, and a lot of them you could beat ninety percent by being in better shape than them. Oh, right. There's, yeah. that, there's that saying that um, exhaustion makes cowards of us all. <laughs> it does. So, you know, exhaustion, man. If you if you got more in the tank than your other guy and you can just get through it, some, you know, the odds are you're going you're gonna to beat this dude, you know? Yeah, that's good. That's awesome, man, dude. Good for you. Now, you lead, now it's done. You're done with your college career now. Did you end up graduating from ASU? Yes, sir. Wow. So degree, was, what's your degree in? Uh, sociology. Oh, wow. <laughs> so now you can understand people too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do we influence people? Yeah. 
awesome. And then you decide to, uh, all right, I'm, uh, that's done. What's next? Well, actually I started before then, like when I was, uh, I actually got that. It was kind of weird. I got to start for that match for ASU. And at the same time, I also, I got an email, you know, from the WWE about doing a tryout and NCAA doesn't let you do, they don't let you do another professional tryout. So even though like, it's not like a professional sport combine. It, it is to them. That's right. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's weird how wrestling is categorized and sometimes it's, Oh, it's not real. It's not, it's not a, it's not a sport. And then all of a sudden, Oh yeah. You try to get insurance. They're like, Oh no, it's, you'd be easier to get insurance if you were a pro football player than a pro wrestler. I'm like, wait a minute. I thought you guys said this was fake for so long. And all of a sudden I can't get insurance. Right. And now I'm, I'm wrestling on the NCAA team and, but I can't go try out for, a non-real sport. I went, wait a minute, where, where yeah. are the lines here? Right. It was weird. Um, but it was awesome because I was like, I was like, how do they know? Like, you know, I've been a pro wrestling fan. Like that was always, it's always what I wanted to do. And, um, oh, shoot, even before all that, like I was reaching out to, you know, anyone I could like, Hey, I'm going to graduate in 2020, which is a year from now, but I'm going to hit the circuit and do that. So it's like, it prophesied it. So, when that had happened, I was like, oh, I wonder if these people got in contact with them. I was like, hey, check this guy out. And because I had the little documentary and my coaches were like, this is a big deal. And we what don't want you to it down. The documentary. We'll talk about it real quick just so we can. Oh, the doc. Um, they did a little mini doc. Um, you know, Fox, Fox Sports did one. It won an Emmy. And then USA Today um, wanted to. It was like a short documentary, like 15 minutes. But sure. it, it was following me. So, like, it was all organic, like everything from just me wrestling with the team and stuff like that to actually becoming a starter. Where know? can anybody see that at? Um, YouTube. You can just click Roman Roselle, you know, or Green Beret ASU and that'll pop up. And All right, cool, cool. So guys, go check that out for sure. So then you decide, okay, so there, you're getting a call, maybe um, get a tryout here. Yeah, the coaches were, were like, they knew I was already a pro wrestling fan. So they were just like, this is crazy. And they were like, yeah. They knew like I'm 30, you know, 35 at the time. And I'm not like these 18, 19 year olds that still have other life. They're like, yeah, take this opportunity while you can. But I didn't want them to think like, Hey, thank you for letting me get famous and noticed Bye. it was, they were just like, no, Hey, after you wrestle this match, like you can do this with a clear conscience. You can go do the tryout and we'll just make it to where uh, it made me an assistant, a student assistant coach. So it was cool. So I still got to be part of the team, everything like nothing changed other than my title, but I had to waive my uh, eligibility, but it was, um, but it was good, you know? And so I got to do that. I did the tryout and got a pretty good rub by them and started to do extra work for them. And, um, during that time, that's when Dan Severin started, uh, training me. Oh, nice. Was, is that who trained you for, for pro wrestling Dan? Uh, right at, right at the beginning, just to get ready for the, uh, the tryout. I had a little crazy, run with teddy hart for a little while which we won't go into <laughs> yeah, yeah, teddy teddy's uh, teddy's insane <laughs> so, like because i was just like desperate to get training and he's like yeah, i'll train you and it was just like it was almost the same story as like taker's story you know oh, yeah <laughs> uh it was buzzsaw yeah yeah like yeah, buzz so Sawyer, had, yeah. But sorry yeah so it was like one of those uh take your almost, money yeah almost same yeah almost same scenarios and it was uh you're not the only one in pro wrestling. Anybody's deciding to be a pro wrestler, get trained by reputable, somebody reputable. Somebody's just not going to take your money out there 
and then not train you, you know, because that's kind of what happens a lot of times in pro wrestling is they'll just, you know, you pay them their money, they want it up front, and then, you know, before you know it, they skip town and your money's <laughs> gone, you know, so that kind of yeah. sucks. But you you always find those people along the way, especially if you keep going, you you, you run into them. As you oh. heard on, take, on, take, on my, my podcast with Taker, and he, he ended up seeing Buzz again, you know. <laughs> it was uh but i mean it was good because it happened early on and it's been i've been able to kind of recognize stuff like that since then um because right off the bat i did that got trained i was able to get into a pretty good school down in mesa arizona the arizona pro wrestling training center who was but, a, who was the uh trainer there uh don Vitali and um gabriel gallo they, okay. they go for gallo but i mean they go by like um he's he's the they're names for professional wrestling get the king of no rules you know gallo and don vitale they got a tag team cwf az and they've been wrestling forever awesome so, so they trained you other. trained you correctly yeah. right and i saw kevin sullivan put them over way before i went to the school so i was like cool man i can actually get into a, a school yeah sure and started training there and start training there, and then that, that takes you to work. Now, I see you doing some stuff with Al Snow and OVW. And yeah, right off the bat. So I, I was training, and I was working with um, Devotion Championship Wrestling, which is an affiliate of OVW right now. Um, Vince Russo, you know, writes for this, this show, and they were on the CW network. And so it was, like, cool. I got to learn TV and wrestle and stuff like that and was able to kind of get, you know, with I was, I'm with Grunt Style, so the clothing company. Yeah, right. So getting marketed through them and just new opportunity sponsorship um, then led me to OBW and then doing great stuff with Al and Chad Miller just, and now they like, they've expanded to where he has like the Al Snow Wrestling Academy here in Louisville, but he's got these other, you know, sister schools, you know, in the Northeast, in Utah, all these other places. So it's, it's been pretty crazy. And then between that and, you know, uh, wrestling at OBW and I also now live in Georgia you know, working, work for DDP now. So it's crazy. You so you're working for da Diamond Dallas Page. Uh oh, let's, yeah. let's, let's get into that. <laughs> yeah. Bang. Bang. Like, you Bang. know, I'm a 35 year old guy. He started when he's 35. Like, right. so he's been training me with, you know, with the yoga. Um, awesome. So, you know, I got Al training with psychology stuff. I got Dallas training, training me just to be do yoga. You, and also do you get a lot of this? Bro, 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 no, bro, bro. This is how you got to do it, bro. <laughs> we say that's my Dallas page. You know, I love Dallas to, to, uh, to be in my place, but he's a character, man. He's one of those guys that that gimmick, like he's Dallas DDP outside of the ring too. That's, that's who he is. He just walks around. He's got that voice. He's bro. Let me tell you something. You know, <laughs> I mean, it, it's great. It was like, it was meant to be because the same way, like I've always been that self promoter. I mean, look, I have my own shirt on. Absolutely. Hey, look, I got the girl shirt on. <laughs> I love it. See, yes, we're all good. We're cut from the same cloth. And That's he's it. like, he's like, write me. He goes, what do you mean you don't have this? You only have 30. Give me 70 hope spots. Write them down. Bring them back. Like the homework <laughs> on top of doing, you know, the yoga. And he's helped me uh, train for that so I can be a trainer. So. It's, oh, that's great. With yoga. That's, that's a great, great thing right there. Yeah. Uh, DDP. I'm so I remember in, in WCW when he first started taking yoga and he starts doing some stuff and he'd be stretching in the, in the locker room and child, come here, come here, try this, try this. You know, I'm like, all right, cool. You know, it's like, Oh, that's good. You should get into yoga, bro. And then, you know, he see where he's gotten since yeah. then, you know, and, and motivating so many people. That's awesome. I'm happy to see my, my, my friends and my boys succeed. That's really cool. Yeah. So it's good. I relocated down there and I still wrestle with OVW. And Al, like I said, they, I still partner with them and 
doing a lot of great stuff, but I'm, I'm just, while I'm in uh, Georgia, I still train, you know, I'm training with QT Marshall at the nightmare factory. Yeah. Okay. And so it's, I mean, that's helped elevate my game, you know, too down there. So no matter where I'm at Louisville or Georgia, you know, I'm getting taken care of, you know, the right way training with the right people or how to be safe. That's the thing, man. You get the right way for sure. Watch your noggin. You've already had too many of them. <laughs> you know, your, your head bangs. Watch those for sure. Yeah. You know, yeah. And it just, and just work, man. I always tell people work as much as you can get in front of people. That's where you perfect that craft. It's not, you can only learn so much practicing and being in the ring and rolling stuff. But once you get in front of people and start applying it and things are going wrong and things don't go as you see them to go and you pivot and you um, improvise and that's where you become a pro wrestler. Yeah. It's been great. It's been a great year. Um, just learning that and except all the partners and the collar and elbow in the 2020 rookie of the year. Collar and elbow. Nice. Yeah. So yeah. Rookie of the year is as a, how old are you now? 35. <laughs> Third, the oldest rookie of the year. 35-year-old rookie Great, of the dude. year. That's awesome. the record. Break that. So I, I know. Break the tour's record, so now someone's got to break my record. That, yeah, that's right. There, there will be. There'll be somebody which is good. There is. I know. It's a challenge. Come on, What guy. do you do outside of the ring and stuff? What do you like your hobbies? Oh, man. Um, shoot. Again, it's like Jesus and pro wrestling. Yeah, nice. <laughs> so yeah, there you go. Like, gotta be a lifestyle yeah it is like i'm that's what am i doing on the side i'm watching you know i'm watching AEW. i'm watching nwa i'm watching cwf sure same stuff i did before and it helps me because now i can study and then but i mean i like to work out and i do speaking engagements and i like to help out with the mental health community just to kind of because i still have my struggles but the fact that again i keep going I, i still see the fruits of it and i try to show that to other people like hey man it's not about the, the roman train or all this other stuff it's about like showing like that you can get places because a lot of people don't know like i'm driving 27 hours to a show for no money or and then driving right. an hours back for a film tape and then driving seven hours another way to drive five hours to another show for nowhere and then doing those weekly so just like that stuff to where i don't let anybody know until after i did it so that way so they don't be like oh yeah look at me I do that. Hey, look, I did that this week. You can do it too. Kind of like when my wife left me, I didn't tell anybody I got divorced until I, you know, I was homeless. You know, I I go from making six grand a month to $800, you know, and then I'm homeless in May and I'm like, well, I'm going to, I'm going to show everybody what I'm going to do. I didn't know what I was going to do. I'm like, I'm going to go move to Louisville from there. I'm going to see where that goes. And here I am now. I'm not homeless. Right. All this other stuff, but I didn't tell anybody till afterwards because it just shows like that was the worst thing that happened to me. Like mm-hmm. talking about married, you know, close to 18 years, somebody up and leaves you at like your peak. What are you going to do? And then I'm just like, God, I was really scared. Like, you know, yeah. I'm going to leave state. I got to leave Arizona to try to create something. I felt like an 18 year old again. Yeah. The fact that it happened now I could share it and be like, okay, that was the darkest time. But I, I kept going like I would do appearance after appearance, do a show after show. And even though I wasn't in the mind for it, all that work was there. And eventually my heart caught up to all that work. And it's now I prepped the battlefield. It's paying off. And it was like, shit, I didn't know COVID was going to happen either. So it's like, I kept going, going, going to where it like allowed me to, to grow into what it is now. Had I quit and I'd be another two years behind. Yeah. Wow. And it's, that's crazy. So you go, 
you're in Afghanistan shooting, getting blown up, things are going on, you know, you're getting struck by lightning, you're walking on the wrestling team at Arizona State. Basically, nothing can scare you. Nothing can, can, can rattle you now. And the, the, the leaving of a spouse is, is what does it. So that just shows you right there the, how we are as a social animal and what really, really affects us, you know? Yeah, especially with the kids. Yeah. yeah, man, totally. That's that's you. That's a tough one, man. That's good. Yeah, good. You're you're leaving you're in a good place now, man. Yeah, we split the kids, you know. Yeah. So we rotate the kids. So they live here with me, you know, between Louisville and they the other ones live in Arizona with the mom and we'll rotate them out. So we, we at least had a good Yeah, you have a good split. Wrote yeah. our own divorce for the most part because we were like, you know, she just grew apart. And right. I when I look back at the whole history of the eighteen years, like yeah. I was always so long. and survive. <laughs> what you talked about though, it's like, it's just temporary because you're going to be able to rest later and pay for right. it. You know? So like I, I did all this stuff now, like you think I was going to get a retirement and it's like, no. So now I got to start all over again, but just would have been a little bit more patient. Like when the time comes or when let's say I don't ever make it, but do, I know I will. It's like, dude, like all that, if you just would have hanging a little bit tighter, you'd be able to rest a lot more comfortably later. That's true, man. That's true. Man, uh, I appreciate you coming on and being on the, on the show for me and uh, with me. And before we leave, we always do a little bit of like this thing uh, called Rapid Fire on Suplex and Cerveza, yes. where we kind of would just, uh, I'll throw some questions at you and there's no right or wrong answer and just kind of just see um, the fans kind of see what, you, what, what makes you tick, a little bit more about you. All right. You down? Let's do it. All right. So are you a, a Ford or Chevy guy? Ford. Good. Now, are you being in the armed forces? Are you a Stallone or Arnold guy? Stallone, see the Green Beret. Oh, there you go, Beret, Green Beret, right from Rambo, right? Yep. <laughs> Don't forget that. Dogs or cats? Oh man, that's rough. Because I have dogs, but I love cats. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong. There's no no right or wrong answer. That's cool. Yeah. Um, are you a blonde or brunette guy? You would think I'm a blonde guy, but I like brunettes. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Boober butt. Boober butt guy. Boobs. All right. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Uh, Hulk Hogan or Ric Flair? Hulk Hogan. All day long, the, the yeah. Hulkster. Sorry, Rick. I mean, I love Rick, but. Yeah, yeah, sure. I get it. Were you a Randy Savage fan or a Ricky Steamboat fan? Randy Savage. Savage. Yeah. That's right. Um, are you an Eddie or Ray Mysterio? Oh man, that's rough because I'm five nine, so I felt like I was more like Ray Mysterio, so I was like more liked his stuff. But it's hard to like ne- neglect all what he's done. But I was always like a Ray Mysterio fan. Cool. All right. Uh, were you now in amateur wrestling when you got the the um, you said that in amateur wrestling when you uh, got the choice would you uh would you pick top or bottom up or down 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 right you'd like to escape work from the bottom yeah i was never really good uh on top really yeah so these guys are like freaking mustangs well, it's yeah. hard to like hold them down so it's like unless you, and it's the only way for me to do it is if it was like illegal just to keep these you know dudes down yeah yeah i got gotcha. you um, were you a 
double leg takedown guy or would you like to throw somebody like in like a lateral drop? Yeah, throw somebody. I was always throw. a throw. Yeah. I love, I'm a, I'm a thrower for sure. I like that much better than, uh, I don't mind taking somebody down and that's cool, but I like to take them down with some, uh, with some pizzazz. Right. In a real fight, I'll, yeah, I'll double leg first. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Of course. Get that six foot six dude down. Oh yeah. Well, I, li- I always like to get those guys, uh, wrapped up and they try to throw me and then I just reverse the throw. <laughs> that's, <laughs> yeah, that that's- was the best. They try to throw me, I reverse the throw and I land right up on top of them. That was, uh, that was easy. Um, Tell me where everybody can, what you got going on right now? Where, where can everybody see you at? Where can they find you at? Um, so you can find me, well, my social media, you know, at Roman Roselle, or you can watch uh, on Amazon or Roku. Now that you get the OVW network, so you can awesome. watch our shows, you know, on Tuesdays, Saturdays, whatever we do. And also for Devotion Championship Wrestling, you've got the CW network and it's on Amazon now, Amazon Prime. You can watch, um, you know, all our stuff there. What's it called? Devotion Championship Wrestling? Yeah, DCW. It's, it's like I said, it's one of the affiliates, like the minor leagues now for um, OVW. Okay, great. Tell us when we can buy those, uh, that T-shirt. I know that the one you gave me, I wear that one all the time. It's actually oh. <laughs> really sweet. Yeah. So you can get the T-shirts at Grunt Style. And then this one right here is my uh, Rookie of the Year T-shirt for Collar Elbow. Collar and Elbow. So you can get them at CollarandElbow.com? CollarandElbow.com. Cool, man. Brother, again, thank you. Your story's amazing. It's an incredible story, very uplifting. You're um, definitely a role model for a lot of people. So, um, you know, keep, keep your head straight and keep plugging at it, man. You're, you'll get there, man. You'll get there. Anybody listening, it, people tell you no all the time, and it's yeah. the, the, you can. It just depends how much sacrifice and how much work you want to put into it. So it's all up to you. Oh, I forgot. DDP Yoga. There you go. Guys, military, if you're military, it's 50% off. Wow. So it's great. Like, you know, usually even around Christmas time, it doesn't even go up that high. 30% the most. So 50% off a DDP yeah. for an ex-military. Yeah. And just, just keep staying tuned to DDP. Why? You might see this guy. You know. Awesome, brother. Well, hey, I appreciate it very much. And we'll leave you with a uh, bang. Bang. Self high five, brother. All right, brother. Thanks, man. You the man. Thank you, brother, for 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 doing this. And again, all luck to you. And uh, we'll see you around. I'm sure. Yes, sir. Thank you, all right, brother. Now for sure. Get his pedal, not Charlie. Charlie, yeah. your son is me.